Oof, I'm so excited to share the word of God with you today. Um, as you can see, it means I'm going to say some things very important. I'm choosing to sit because when I was getting ready with this, I just couldn't contain myself. And so I'm going to try to be tame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's going to, I'm going to let it rip a little bit. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, let God use you like he made you. Tell it to them like you mean it. Let God use you like he made you. Because one of the things that has really been standing out to me is many times in life we settle for what's phenomenal and we miss what God is in, intending to do. Because the world has defined power to us as having someone above you. The person who can make you do things is powerful. But what God is teaching me is how about the person who is serving you? Maybe the greatest power that Christ has demonstrated to us is actually in the sacrifice. Because that power is undeniably not from the inside of the human desire to achieve. Because, because service, sacrifice, is something we do in and outside of ourselves. It's not something that we look forward to for an innate human person. And so today I'm going to take us to that place. Maybe God wants to use us that way. Maybe God wants to use you that way. So if you don't mind, turn your Bibles to Exodus or flip your phones. Hey, it's 2021. Flip your phones to Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And I'm going to... I'm going to pick up on Moses' journey. Moses has grown up in Egypt. He has experienced the palace. I mean, when you read the story, it's almost like he was destined for the palace in Egypt. And then all of a sudden, he has compassion for the Jews, and he kills an Egyptian to save the Jews, and things don't work out, and he ends up somewhere in the wilderness, and he found his good job taking care of somebody else's sheep, and he settled in. And look what happens here in verses 4. So when, the Lord saw, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, I'm picking it up where Moses is taking care of the sheep of Jethro, and he sees a burning bush experience. And Moses responds and says, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off, off your feet, for the place you, you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the same guy who had turned his face to the bush now does this. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He is... Here's where the interesting part for me is. Moses was more interested in the phenomenon that was happening to the bush, but wasn't interested or didn't have no idea what that was meaning to his purpose. I'll put us in these terms. Moses was more interested in examining the bush than he was in determining what the bush was meaning in his life. Why? Because he had achieved what he thought was a comfortable place. He's married, he has kids, he's in the, I mean, talk about finding purpose. 
Moses had found a purpose besides what God had called him to do, and he was comfortable there. He, was, he had food, he had water in the middle of nowhere, and that's the place that Moses is feeling comfortable, and God is trying to get his attention by, by putting a, a burning bush, a phenomenon that gets Moses' attention, that even when God speaks, Moses is not moved by what God sees in him. Moses is moved by the fact that there are some things he wants God to do, and this is why I say this. God tells Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And he turns his head. Can you imagine if someone told you that you are the son of this one and this one and this one, and instead of trying to discover who they are, you, you just hide your face? Maybe in those words, that's where the purpose that Moses should have known about his forefathers lied. Let's see what God told Abraham. Hey, leave your kindred, go into a nation I'll show you, and I will bless you, and I will increase you. Hmm, could have Moses been so comfortable in that place that he didn't want to leave? How about Jacob? I'm going to change your name, and your name is going to be Israel. You're going to wrestle with an angel, and I'm going to change your whole identity. Could have, been, could have been that a moment Moses in his mind is thinking, something is about to change in my life, but I don't want to move. And that's why he turns his face away from God to the moment where God tells him, take your sandals off. Because what Moses was comfortable doing was walking the grounds he was capable of walking in with his ability. And now God is saying, can you be humble before me? I want to fellowship with you. Because I truly believe when we fellowship with God, something changes. He reveals his purpose for us. In my notes, I have that as God did not reveal his plan to Moses until Moses discerned purpose. And purpose for Moses was all wrapped up in the genealogy of his life. God did not even introduce who he was yet. He just told him, here, he is, who, is, he is the kind of people I am a God over, Abraham. And Moses is like, oh no, something is happening because I'm leaving. (laughs) Something is about to change in my life. And then another person, David Guzik, said this. The burning bush captured Moses' attention. But that changed nothing until Moses received the word of God that came to him at that place. At that moment, Moses knew, I better go and figure out how to settle my issues, my future with Jethro. Because God did not even say where I'm going to send you yet, but you're hiding your face from him right away. Because you understand from what he had just said, something is about to change. And here's the very major point about tonight. One of the three, it's you have to abandon the identity, circumstance, or pleasure has placed on you to discover what God has designed you to do. You could be living in the wealthiest place in town, or you could be living in the poorest place in town. But your purpose and identity is only going to come from you abandoning what the society and environment has placed on you to discover what God has designed you to do. Here's what I mean. Do not go searching for destiny. Search for fellowship with God. That's one thing that Moses didn't go looking for. This whole time he's in Egypt, the burning desire to rescue the people of God is on his heart. That's why he kills an Egyptian. 
What is he trying to do? My people are suffering. I need to do something. And all he could do in his power is kill one Egyptian and cause more trouble for all the Jews. And to make matters worse, he finds his purpose elsewhere in his own ability. And God is saying, no, 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 Moses, you had the right desire in you. You just didn't have fellowship with me. I mean, although Moses had denied himself of the pleasures of the palace, because for some of us, we're like, you know, I've denied myself to go to, you know, to eat fast food. I've denied myself to go to Cancun. I've denied myself to go everything, but I'm going to go to visit my auntie's house, and I'm going to just stay in the basement. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, the kind, that's not the kind of denying himself that Moses did. He left a palace where he was crowned prince to go and take care of sheep somewhere besides a mountain. And still, that wasn't God's purpose for his life. In other words, what Moses has attained in taking care of sheep was no match for what God was calling him to do. In this moment, I would like to put it this way. God introduced Moses to grace and truth. The very people he was afraid to go and encounter is the very people God is sending him to minister to. Moses left Egypt a murderer. And now he's going back in with, with a person who has met God and encountered a brand new definition of purpose in his life. He's going back in with, you know what? I met the God of Abraham. I met the God of Isaac. I met the God of Jacob. And there's something in common between all of those three is God was always faithful to his word. And Moses is coming back to a nation. He's coming back to a people that God is calling him to. In other words, most of the time what we think could be natural to us may actually be the least that we're doing. Because Moses thought, by taking care of sheep, take care of his family, I mean, he has escaped being martyred because he killed an Egyptian soldier, so he's in a safe place. In other words, I've found what God made me for. The sheep are flourishing. I'm in the right place, and God said, no, 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 no. I want to send you into a place where you're going to have to serve, but it won't be because they love you. It won't be because they think you're anything great. Actually, they'll think you're a traitor. But the only thing that's going to work for you is you have, you have had fellowship with me. I want to compare this scenario with another scenario in the New Testament. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 13 and 18. I'm going to pick up the story from the woman at the well. I truly believe here is another purpose in of itself that God is calling us to go back to that place that he wants us to be in. And I'll pick it up from 13. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will not thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of springing water into everlasting. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to drink. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have, you have said it well, 
I have no husband, for you have, you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. I'm going to skip to 21. It says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I see in this very story an identity of this woman having a burning bush experience. He's meeting God face to face. He's talking to the Father face to face. And here's what really stands out to me. His identity was that of a prostitute. His identity was that of, I can get any man in my bed. And God is saying, actually, you're misusing what I'm calling you to do. Think about that for a moment. This woman is looking for water that can, that can sustain her for a moment. Isn't that the husband she's had? Isn't that the identity that has marked her all her life? Everything in her life has been temporary until this point. And Jesus is offering him something that would change her mission, something that would change her identity, something that would change who she is. I challenge you to go on and read this story in its entirety. At some moment, she's so intrigued by this water that Jesus wants to give her that even in my own heart, I was like, what happened to this woman's life in this moment? Because look what happens. She goes back in the village. She left the village a prostitute. She comes back in the village and tells every single person, I've met a man who has told me everything about me, and all of you should come and meet him. An entire village leaves whatever they are doing to go down to the well to meet the man that this woman met. I can tell you something in this woman changed in just a moment of having a conversation with God. The water that they're talking about here, scripture to me, when I see water, I mean, referenced in so many terms. Remember, the, Jesus turns water into wine in John chapter 2. And then they ask him to drink some. He says, no, I'm going to drink of the wine, of the wine in the new kingdom. You know, like... The wine that you're drinking is not for me now. Nicodemus talks about, just talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, you know, you have to be born again. And he talks about there's being born of water and there's being born of the spirit. And then you go to the woman at the well, there's water. You go to the impotent man at the pool, there's water. Jesus is walking on water. And then in John chapter 7, he says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. And to me, what this is pointing to is, is the washing with the word. Ephesians chapter 5 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blame. So water could mean so many things, but to me in this moment, what he's telling this woman is, out. My desire for you is this, is this fountain of water is, is going to change your life. And how is it going to change your life? People who have seen you identify yourself as a prostitute are going to believe the words that come out of you. You're going to be having an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that wherever you go and tell people about the man that you met, they want to be interested in who you met more than who you were. 
In other words, here's what I'm saying. (laughs) The people she was meant to minister to instead held her captive due to her physical desire. She desired love. She desired all of these things as a woman, as a man. They're things we desire. And here is is God saying, I'm not taking your desire away. But what you don't have is fellowship with me. And so your desires instead become captive. And you think you've found the place where God wants to use you. And yet you found a place where your environment is dominating you. And you're wondering, God, I, I go to the church every Sunday. She said, we pray at the mountain. You guys pray in the valley. What do I need to do? Like, we shouldn't even be connecting. There was things going on in her life that separated her from. What am I saying this? There are no purposeless, there is no, there aren't. There is nothing like a purposeless believer. Especially in the spiritual body. And to make matters more interesting, neither in the physical body. The moment you're born again into the body of Christ, your place of function is guaranteed. And to me, this brings it back to that place that the more we understand the heart of God, the more we can begin to see how he can impact our world through us. I get back to the place of service and say, sir, what do you want to do today in my life? Sir, what's, what's on your heart's desire for me today? And maybe some of the things that we call religion and ritual, I get up in the morning and I read my Bible, and then at noontime I go to lunch, in the evening I eat dinner. Can you imagine if those moments became purpose-discovering moments? God, I've encountered you this morning. What you got for me for this afternoon? Your word is saying this in my life. In other words, the gospel message we preach shouldn't be strongly tied, should be strongly tied to the faithfulness of God towards us and the faithfulness of God through us. God wants to do so much through us, but we have so many desires that we think we've found our purpose in. And the Holy Spirit is not just an empowerment for us to do things. The Holy Spirit is actually the life of God in us. Can you say this with me? The life of the Holy Spirit is the power of God in me. Say this with me also. I am a recreated spirit being. I have a nature of the Father. And that's God's desire for us. The moment you get born again, you're saying, I have the nature of the Father. I've been adapted into the Father. I've been grafted in. His mission is my mission. His heart is my heart. His desire is my desire. I'll tell you a story about me because... I was worship leading at a church one time. And you know when you're a worship leader, you get used to doing this so much that you can do it like muscle memory. You just get up and you pick up your four songs and you put them in planning center, send them to the whole team, and Sunday morning comes, you sit on your instrument after rehearsal and do your 18, 20-minute set. You stamp on it, you get back in the back, and you come back for second service. But I remember this one time 
we were in the service, and one of the husbands of the lady who was on the worship team came in the service drunk. And he pulled out his phone, came up on the stage. I don't know how he made it past the security, the ushers, the elders. And he was on the stage filming, walking the entire stage filming. And I'm, I'm playing the piano, but I, I get off from the piano, get someone else to play, and I go in the back, and I'm asking security, like, what's going on? How did he get up there? We don't want to make a scene. By the way, we are streaming, so whoever is out there watching is like, how are they going to handle this situation? Are they going to pull him by the throat or do something? I don't know. Let's see what kind of patience church people have. And, and the pastor comes to me, and then he says, David, you're in charge of this. You need to figure something out. Um, long story short, I woke up to the guy, and I whispered in his ear, I said, you know what, we are recording this, and I can get you a copy after the service. And his wife is like melting on the stage. And she doesn't know what to do with herself. She's leading, and her husband is literally filming in her, in her face. And then he says, oh, okay. So I didn't even walk him or anything. He gets off the stage, walks right through the aisle, out the door, and goes home. And I get back up on the stage and sit on the piano. In the moment, I felt like a knife go through my chest. And there was this voice in my heart saying, David, I sent you a sheep. And you missed it. It was one of those moments where now I always think about it. I think of how I could have handled it. I think of how I could have dealt with it. And here we call a church a hospital. And here someone sick walks in through the door. And we want to kick them out so fast. Because all the normal people are looking at us. And he's the sick one. I remember that whole week I told the pastor, you know what, I think I'm, I need to take a break from worship leading. I need to just go back home and get reinvigorated about this passion that we preach about, that we talk about. Church being the hospital, church being the place for the people that need to meet God. I felt like I was on the other side of, of the mountain taking care of sheep. And I'm so comfortable there. And here comes a burning bush moment. And I'm so intrigued by what's going on. And I missed what God was trying to do. Maybe there were several people with addictions in that room that day. That's something as simple as, if you have an addiction, this is a moment for you to come up. Let's call the elders for prayer. Something as, as simple as, I think our brother here needs prayer. Let's disrupt our little structure organization. The fact that he's here, we need to assemble behind him. His spouse is here. His kids are here. Can we pray for them? Could we offer prayer in the healing room? Could we? I mean, there were so many things in the moment that I could not think about because my little brain and my little physical self was so con. In the box of men, I gotta finish my four songs and I gotta get to that last one because there's a little guitar instrument there. And it will make a lot of people happy and pleased. What is God talking to you? If a God of the heavens could take a moment and remind Moses, Moses, what you're doing is not what I created you to do. And Moses says, But I can't speak. It's almost like Moses is giving God information as though God didn't know who he created. 
The woman as well is like saying, eh, you Jews and we as Americans, we don't, we don't deal together. It's like you're telling the God of heaven what he should know about you as though he doesn't know about it. And maybe in our everyday life, that's our structure every day. When God is saying, I need you to reach that person, you're like, mm-mm, they're black. I can't, they're going to think I'm, I'm this. Oh, wait a, wait a moment, no, their job, they have somebody there. Or they go to school, they are the teachers over there. They do this, there's someone over there. In other words, me, I'm going to wait for the person God sends me. Maybe you're praying for a spouse and you have your 2019 requirements you want God to answer for you. And God is saying, if you go on a date, you will meet him. No, he's going to find me at home in my bed. <laughs> it's funny that way, but I think that's how we've treated purpose in life. You think every good thing that happens has to be God. And yet God's purpose and power is actually at the place of sacrifice. What are you sacrificing to do? Because you will identify most of the time that what God is asking you to do to other people, it looks like stupid. Because it's in those moments God is counting on you. John chapter 7 verses 38 says, He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus is speaking of the indwelling presence of the word of God and life of the Holy Spirit. So the life in the word is the Holy Spirit. See this with me. I become God's voice to my world when I speak his word. Say that again. I become God's voice to my world when I speak his word. Mark 16, 17 says, And these shines shall follow those who believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. You know, this is the very same authority that Jesus is walking into. Every single time he says, you know what? If you've seen me, you've seen my father. In other words, if you've seen me, you've seen my identity. But the challenge that we have in today's world is <laughs> we always want the benefit of the word of God, but not the sacrifice that comes with it. We want the benefit of the cross, but when God asks us to take on our own cross, we're like, ah, grace. And maybe grace is not permission to live free of the cross, but grace is permission to embrace your cross. Because the people around you will only see Christ in you in the moments when you're when it's not comfortable for you to be Christ to them. It's so easy to go and say, you know what? I'm going to give everybody $20 to show you that I love you. And they'll be like, yeah, he loves us, but that doesn't mean you're Christian. You can go to the mall and buy everybody a gift, and they'll say, you are awesome. But they won't easily just say you're Christian. But in the moment when God is walking through us by his spirit, in other words, I have discovered why God made me. One of the moments that I know that I found that is I found sacrifice. 
I'm new at this thing. I'm new at this ministry thing. But I'm understanding more each and every day that, man, the power of Christ revealed is in a place of sacrifice. He is the greatest picture. You did not come from the earth. I'll say that boldly. God may have put the earth together, but the life that's in you is his breath. And in Jeremiah says, I knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. In other words, God knew you before you were even formed. God knew man before man was formed out of the ground. Man existed with God. And here is man in the manifest world doing all he can do in our own ability to find identity at the place of work, not and the family that God has allowed us to have. Can you imagine if we walked around saying we are children of God? In the book of Acts, the disciples were known for, you know what? Those are Christians. Those are God-like people. Those are selfless people. Look how they love each other. Do you know what it is today? They say, Christians? Oh, hypocrites. Did, is, did something happen to them or did something happen to us? Because if the same heathens in the book of Acts saw Christ, I think the same heathens in today's world can see Christ. But our power source is not the same as their power source. Their power source is strength. Their power source is muscle power. Their power source is money. Their power source is all of these other things. Our power source is the willingness that I, should, I can die doing this and my life will be fulfilled. I can sacrifice. And the power in that, Jesus had no army. He had no, it wasn't a perfect education he did have. But man, the entire universe is upside down today because of one man's faithfulness. And he says in his own words, says, the same power that, that was at work in me is at work in you. In other words, he's calling you to the same place of service. Say this with me. God works through us. And God is working through me. 2 Corinthians 6 one says this. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. Saying the grace of God is not permission to go and do whatever you please. The grace of God is what is holding you up in the place of sacrifice, in the place of being pressed down, persecuted, <laughs> you know, ignored, kicked out of town. The grace is what sustains you to get up and go back and do the call of God on your life because God designed you to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue. In other words, there are some things that you're going to use the authority of God in you. You know, it's so important that we understand the purpose for the grace of God is to minister his faithfulness to the world we live in. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's, to me, it's almost clear that my purpose in this world is tied to the source. 
of my life. And if the source of my life is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is the life of God, then I found my identity only when I find the Father. I found my purpose because my purpose is going to be identical to that of the Father. You see Jesus used these words a lot at the end of his ministry. He says, go into the nations, teach, baptize, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give. I am the Father, the authority he gave to me, I give unto you. He's saying, I'm giving you an identity. I'm giving you a purpose in life. It's because there's lost people, there's lost lives, but hey, and I'm going to give you these signs to follow you that those who don't believe will believe. In other words, it's not intellect or knowledge that makes us family but the Word and the Spirit of God. And here's another interesting part. Here we have people in the book of Acts who have gotten excited about the Word of God. They are moving by faith. They are so happy to go preach the gospel, and yet they have so little resource. Here's a guy, his name is Apollos, and he's teaching some amazing things about the Word of God. But here he encounters a moment in Acts 18.26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogues, When Aquila and Priscilla had him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I want you to notice a few things here. There was a man who wasn't afraid to share the gospel even when he knew little. And there were people that God had planted to say, you know what, even the things that he did not know because he's gone out in faith, we're going to teach him. In other words, I want to say this. There are men and women staggering and breaking down under burdens and weights that you could have helped them overcome. But because you have not walked out your purpose, they are lost. The reason you pray is not because you need something. The reason and the foundation of all prayer is to fellowship with the Father, to know the heart of the Father, to know the mission of the Father, to bring that mission to life in you. Because the moment the passion of the Father is is ignited in you, I can tell you this, there's no war that can stop you. There's no war that can stop you. Can you imagine most of the wars you can list in the past all have had the theology in them? Somebody wakes up one day and decides that they understand the word of God fully, have no guidance, have no physical encounter with God, and they tell you this is how God wants you in your life, and the other people hate you, these ones love you, war breaks out. I'll give an example. There's a guy called Hanak, one of the fathers of German theology, and the very theology that he came up with is the very theology that Hitler uses to persecute the Jews. And here you have a pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is doing all that he has in his confessing church and all their faith. They are so few, but they are causing a rivet. They're causing havoc to the point that Hitler has to put all of them in jail. And still that doesn't settle anything. They had set a fire in other people so much so that the ignition kept spreading. Why? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. That's why we gather in numbers. We come here, it's contagious in this room. If all we did in this room is come here and be excited and get in the car and get cold, 
we've missed the purpose of church. Because I think this should be a place of ignition. I had your testimony. I had your story. I'm going through this. But even in this situation, he's still God. And he's more important. And my mission, it cannot fall short. In other words, when I get sick and I'm like, oh, there's still unsaved people in the world. This ain't going to take me out. When I'm broke, (laughs) this is not the last day I'm going to be alive. (laughs) As long as there's people that haven't met God. As long as there's people that haven't encountered the love of God, my mission in life is not complete. So no sickness can change that. That's why I love Jesus' attitude when he's in the boat and there's a storm going on. The man is asleep because his mission is not ending in the boat. Can you imagine if you knew this beyond, if we knew this beyond our head knowledge and it became our heart cry? And the devil was throwing at you sickness. The devil was throwing at you financial lack. The devil is throwing at you, your family is falling apart. The devil is throwing at you, your kids are going through this. Your devil's, the devil is throwing COVID at you. You have to discover new ways of leading, discover new ways of doing things. And the peace we can find is God, it ain't over yet. There's still unsaved people to reach. There's still, <laughs> there's still people that want to know the level of your power. There's people that want to grow in knowing you. What do I mean by this? Salva- salvation isn't only a calling us to relationship. It's calling us to fellowship with God, to drink from the same cup. And that's what I call real power. That's what I call purpose. That's what I call discovering what God made me to do. That's what in our country they would say, like father, like son, like daughter. It is important that we, that we understand you have a place in the body of Christ. That your purpose in the body of Christ is just as important. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. In other words, our words are the fruit of the vine. It's from our words that the vine of light, that the wine of life is made. People are going to encounter Christ because you are opening your mouth. You're going to encounter the Father because you're opening your mouth. And this unity is what God is talking about. You are the branch right in him. He's the life in both the tree and the branch. And so that union begins to produce fruit, the fruit of your lips. Hebrews 13:5 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. Can you imagine even Jesus drinks of the fruit of our lips? Jesus, by his sacrifice and victory, opened a door that allowed us, that gave the Father an opportunity, that gave us an identity to be able to use our mouth to bless God. Even in the middle of what is going on, no matter what the public is saying, that you can be, have a direct line with the Father. I know this is what I'm created for. The moment the Father shines through me, the world will see the Father. Jesus asked the disciples at one point, he says, who do you say that I am? 
they knew what everybody else knew about Jesus. And they said it all. And he says, no, 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 no. I want to know what you say that I am. And Peter says, you are the son of God. You are Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that hasn't been revealed to you by your own wisdom. My father in heaven has revealed it to you. He's already saying that in this me and you right here, the father is present. The father is revealing things. It has been in front of you this whole time. I have been right here in front of you this whole time. The Father has been here. And this mission that he's put on my heart is the purpose you have to identify yourself with. I would like to end with this. This is our public ministry. We belong to God because of his grace, his long-suffering, his eternal life, and his very nature. I could say a lot more about these things. Here I want to finish with another one. The Father sets the limits for his new creation. In other words, there is no storm that can change you. There is no storm that can change the course of your life. Moses is having an encounter with God on the back of the mountain. And God had to mention a few things. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses, down in his heart, understood something is about to change. The woman at the well, Jesus tells him, yeah, I know about your husbands. Even the one you have now is not. And the woman's life is transformed immediately because of the desire that was happening there. But do you see what actually God is doing? He's changing one, one from being a shepherd over sheep to being a shepherd over an entire nation. And that transformation happens in one moment of fellowship with God. And he's a woman at the well who has all these issues. Her identity is, is wrong. She goes to the well at the perfectly wrong time of the day. She's wanted to be isolated and by herself. And God makes her, his own appointment with her and says few phrases. And her life is set on fire, revived in purpose. And she goes back to the village. If you keep reading in, in verses 35, Jesus says, The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Because that day there was one laborer, the woman. I'm going to close with this. Is this day, is this moment a burning bush moment for you? Is this moment a well moment for you? If, you're, if you feel you're in any of those categories, that this moment is changing your life, if you don't mind, stand up. You feel like, I'm, I need, David, there's a revigoration happening in my spirit right now of rediscovering or going back to this love that Jesus has demonstrated, the power that's on the other side of the coin, the power that I don't like to embrace. I don't want to go on the cross for anybody, maybe my kids, but that's the far I can go. But what if God is asking you to go on the cross for your neighborhood? What if God is asking you to cross, especially in this environment where we have all these critical race theory, we have all these identities, identity issues, we have race, and maybe God is asking you in this moment, I need you to face this. 
You're going to get hated on social media. You're going to get hated by, your, by some of your friends because they don't think you understand. But I'm calling you to this. Maybe that purpose for you is, not, is even beyond these walls. You're like, David, I have a physical limitation. David, I just can't read as well. I'm not eloquent in speech. Moses said it. Duman as well was like, I, uh, there's a difference between us. We're not of the same race. And here is a moment that I felt like God was dealing with me right in that place. Is are you ready to lay aside the fear of men? Are you ready to lay aside the fear of what situation you may walk into? Are you ready to, to lay aside, you know, the identity that we have made for ourselves? Moses is a shepherd and he has built this thing for himself and favor with the man who doesn't even know God in Jethro. But God says, Moses, that's not your place. If you're seated and, and there's a person standing in your aisle, please stretch your hand towards them. And we're going to pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you right now. And if you're watching us online as well and you stand up, there's people going to pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this moment. Because you are God and we are not. That you've allowed us to fellowship with you by your spirit. May what you did in Moses, what you did in the woman at the well, what you did with Abraham, what you did with Isaac and Jacob, what you did with Paul, what you're doing through your word, be ignited in these, your people in this room right now. That wherever they felt lack, that wherever they felt diminished, wherever they felt less fellowship, but I pray for an increase of revelation. I pray for an increase of wisdom and I pray for an increase of your spirit in their lives, Lord. That just like the, just like the woman at the well, Lord, these, this may spark up moments like these where when we come together is to share testimonies and share stories of the great things that you're doing throughout the day in our lives. That we are passionate, even growing more and more passionate for your word and through your might name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> And if you've been listening to us and you want to give your life to Jesus this evening, if you're online, let's all get up on our feet and repeat this prayer with me. Let's all get up on our feet and repeat this prayer with me. <laughs> I know sometimes I get really fast. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the blood that you shed that you adopted us into your family, brought us back into our place of purpose, that you are our Father, and your Spirit is alive in us, and your identity is alive in us. Your purpose is alive in us, and we are changed. We are recreated spirit man to influence our world. Amen.